I'm Laura. And I'm Georgiana. And this is Decanterbury Tales. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am tired, but so happy. I woke up very happy. That's um, good. Yeah. How are you? I'm great. We should say welcome, everyone, to Decanterbury Tales. Welcome to Decanterbury Tales, the Boozy, Boozy Book, Book Club. Club. Finishing each other's sentence, are we? Yeah. We gave that spiel so many times. We're like, we are Decanterbury Tales, a Boozy Book Club podcast. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Seriously. I could, I could probably do that in my sleep. But um, yes, Lara Georgiana, your host of Decanterbury Tales. Uh, we are referring to Mississippi Book weekend and if we met you thank you so much for coming by we had so much fun getting to talk to you about so fun this podcast and us and what we do and you know we just I I love all of the book recommendations I still have them up on my phone to purchase put in the Amazon cart yeah which we'll definitely make sure to that is like every all of your TBRs Mm-hmm. The books that you guys have told us to read now. Hey, I appreciate it. I'm tired of research mode. <laughs> this is our Boozy Book Club episode for the month of August. And so we will be discussing When Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill, and which is a phenomenal book. So good. So good. And I'm excited to like dive into that. I also have to apologize that we are doing another cocktail this month. Not for lack of trying to find an appropriate wine for this book. And while I did find, we found some book, some wines that were appropriate and honestly perfect pairings, except we hated or just wasn't thrilled. Like I would not buy these wines again. So didn't really want to pick a wine that we didn't like, but I will share them because just because we didn't like them does not mean you won't. They just weren't our favorite. So I'm not going to dive in heavy on those. One of them is a Chardonnay and Laura and I have said often that we are just not Chardonnay people, but if you are. Chardonnope. (laughs) But if you are a Chardonnay, this one is probably a really good pick for you. Um, Yeah. And then also if you're a big sour beer drinker, this other wine that we picked Um, And we'll go into a little bit of detail on these on why I think they're good pairings. I just personally, we both just didn't vibe with them, but we did vibe with our signature cocktail, uh, which we have called One More Chapter. Thursday, we went to the kickoff party where we met uh, Ralph Eubanks, (laughs) who we love and ran into a couple more times and we kept saying hello and he's like oh my god crazies stop I know Um, at one point I just we passed him for like a fifth time and I almost said because the very first night um I bought two books and he autographed them they're going to be Christmas presents and I he said please call me Ralph so then moving on, every time we saw him, we were like, what's up, what's up, Ralph? And definitely by Saturday, he was averting his eyes and did not want to look at us. Hey, you put us on a first name basis. We're going to enjoy that. 
Yes. So we did attend, like she said, the pre-fest party on Thursday. We ended up kind of camping out at the bar. We went, we definitely, you know, saw the opening, you know, listened to a couple of the talks, but for the most part, it was definitely, I felt like a networking event and it was really great. I enjoyed meeting a bunch of people. A lot of the like funders and panelists were there. A lot of the authors were there. So it was really interesting to be there. And that was kind of our first foray into the festival was this kind of smaller intimate gathering, which was nice. I really enjoyed it. And then we proceeded to go to bed. <laughs> Pretty much. And Friday was bright and early. We started in the morning hair and makeup. I had a midday appointment to get ready for our brand photo shoot, which was great. We worked with quick visuals here in Jackson, Mississippi. And we did photo and video for the podcast just because we have never been in the same place since we started the podcast. So it was exciting. I know I've worked with him before, but Georgiana, this was your first time working with him. Yes. It's, I really don't do photo shoots. Let's be real here. (laughs) So I was kind of a fish out of water and it was a lot of fun. And he was really great at kind of directing and like helping me find my angles and my look and yeah, that's, that's one of the things I love about him. And if you are a photographer and you're listening, um, don't be afraid to give your subjects direction. Because if I look at a picture of me and like one weird strand of hair is like flipped out, then the whole photo is ruined for me. And I will probably never use it because <laughs> I'm just very particular. But also it's just so hard to know how to stand because in-person posture is so different than photography posture. But we did promo photos, we did Harry Potter photos, we did like business professional photos. And um, I think my favorite part was he said, bring a lot of books. And did Laura deliver? I don't think he realized when you tell a book person to bring a lot of books. To me, I brought like 50 books. It was a lot. I just had stacks and stacks and stacks of books. But that made for really fun pictures to have props and stuff. But he's, he stopped and goes, uh, this is a lot of books. I said, you said bring a lot of books. I didn't know how much is a lot. So, but it was fun. And then we rode over to LaCour in Highland Village in Jackson. And we hosted a little event there uh, for local influencers, book lovers, really anyone was invited. But a lot of the people that we kind of correspond with and connect with on social media came stopped by and we got to meet them in person and chat which was really nice it was just a lovely room of people that loved books it was so much fun just laughing with people and getting again tbr recommendations um yeah, and we got to so see we did, we did this thing where uh, i brought several of the books that we've covered and we use them as centerpieces and people, they became talking points where someone would see a book on a table and pick it up or point at it. And that would be a really good engaging thing. So if you are trying to host little book meetups or book club meetups where everyone doesn't read the same book, it's a really fun way to get people talking. And it was really great. It was an intimate gathering of like 15. And honestly, I don't, I think that was perfect for us, especially our first kind of live hosting. Our feet wet. 
So shout out, uh, thank you to LaCour Kitchen and Bar for letting us host our event there and making us our own little menu and our own cocktail. So I just super thankful for that. And it was just a great experience. And if you have listened to our Fuck It Friday episode, I got to meet Megan in real life. Yes. And it was such a good hug. So thank you so much, Megan, for coming. It was lovely meeting you in person uh, after just speaking with you on the, the internet. Yeah. So if you are a wine lover um, or just in general, just want to follow someone that's fun, we have an episode with Trill Wine Wife. Uh, she's a wine Instagrammer and she is on a previous episode this season called Fuck It Friday. So if you're looking for a fun lesson on a Friday, definitely head down uh, past some of our old recordings and go there. So thank you to everyone who came. It did start raining and we ran in the rain. It was fine. And then we immediately were ready to like change into trolls. And we didn't morph into dragons, but we did morph into some trolls. And it was like all the baggy t-shirts, sweatpants, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we were talking about like watching tv and playing board games and laura and i just looked at each other and we were like nope it is time to go to bed so tired my husband was a sweet precious baby angel and cooked us a korean braised beef that night we did get invited to go do stuff and thank you everybody who invited us to go do stuff on friday i was dead inside Mm -hmm. And outside, really, just deceased. The uh, the idea of a warm cooked meal and sweatpants on my couch was the move, and I was so happy that we did because definitely it was like eight thirty, and I was exhausted. I think you looked at me and you were like, "Being an influencer is exhausting." I was like, "This is horrible." <laughs> like, uh, we got to play bad at it. <laughs> Yeah, we got to play pretend. We are not influencers. We are podcasters. This is what I have learned. Uh, Shout out to all you influencers who can be on like that all the time. I enjoy uh, not having to be on all the time. So you guys are strong and we did it. We did one whole day, honestly, three days of it. And I am exhausted. So ready for like messy bun, sweatpants, oversized. It's actually the only thing I wore yesterday was like a messy bun and sweatpants and a big giant t-shirt. It was everything. So Friday night we crashed and I politely told my husband that uh, I'm not driving the like 20 minute drive to Georgiana's hotel room the next day. So he offered to be our chauffeur after the, uh, after the festival on Saturday so that I could have a beverage with Georgiana and not worry about driving. So he was really the MVP, thank you. Um, but Saturday was another early day. Uh, I saw the sunrise on my way to the hotel. Literally have a video of the sun rising over the city of Jackson. And um, what else? Shout out to the Westin for their impeccable room service, oh, which we took. Utilized every day, every yes. day. Oh, yes. So good. And Saturday was the festival. So a lot of you were there. And again, like it was just so much fun. We were in the community lawn area, so we didn't get to attend any panels. We did catch like the very last book signing. We didn't get a book signed. We just went over to say hello to authors and just meet them. But for the most part, Saturday was just such a fun vibe of just 
meeting new people and talking about the podcast and what we're about and what we love to do and just seeing people get excited about the podcast and kind of bring people into the fold, if you will, become pals of the pod and have some one-on-one connections with people was really, really nice. We did meet some listeners, which was cool. Oh yeah. So thank you. Yeah. So thank you for coming and telling us hello and that you listen. Cause that was, um, so nice. I felt like a celebrity, small celeb status. Uh, just kidding. We're not, but it just did feel, it felt really nice to have someone recall something that we had said on the podcast and just engage with us and enjoy what we're doing. So again, that was because we recommended them. Yes, that was incredible. So Thank you to the Mississippi Book Festival, everyone that we have met over the last couple of days. My brain is still fried, but it was just fantastic. So thank you. Oh, I finally, for anyone who's been listening from the beginning, we stopped bringing it up because I suck, but I finally gave Georgiana her birthday, Christmas birthday present. And I know uh, in the past, uh, you've seen, you've heard Georgiana lapped me and getting me a Christmas present, a birthday present, a Christmas present, and then a birthday present. So what we do is they're not really in a time schedule. We're always late, um, but we just get a box and you purchase items and you fill the box. And when the box is full, you send it. So it doesn't matter if it's actually on time, but I filled my box and didn't send it because I'm lazy and didn't go to the post office. So by the time it was filled for birthday, it was almost Christmas. And then we had another birthday. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to see her in July. So I gave her a box inside of a box mm-hmm. with lots of little boxes in it. So it gave me so much stuff. I didn't have space to like cram it all in my bags because I, I flew with no checked baggage. Yummy. I'm very and- yeah, no, it was awesome. It was book related items, like bookmarks that I'm already using and like little stamps and labels and book editing. Personal lending library kit. That's my yeah, favorite. My, per- my personal lending library kit. She got me a giant champagne float. She got me a sweatshirt that says woo to the who on it, which is in your bag. So you're going to need to find that when you ship it because it's not in the box. Okay, I'll find it. Okay. Um, I'm really excited about it. If you didn't know, she got me, um, my best friend's exorcism, the Grady Hendrix book that I hadn't read yet. She got me a little Harry Potter notebook, just all, all the goodies. So thank you. I've been collecting. I'm so happy that you like it. So for those of you that have been keeping score, we're now back to even. (laughs) So (laughs) just in time for Christmas. So We are officially, I'm not a horrible friend anymore. We've officially gotten back. We've settled, the score has been settled. I'm just so mean. The Christmas card that was in Laura's Christmas box, Christmas birthday box, just said, laughed you, bitch. I know, I was like, fine, mean. So mean. Um, So yeah, love you. Uh, Love you, being it. That's probably something that we should touch on is the fact of like, even though we were running around like crazy people, like how much fun you and I had together after not seeing each other for two years. And it just was like, all right, let's go. Like, I love you. Let's go. Reunited and it feels so good. Uh, It was honestly amazing. Like I, we had an awkward first five minutes in the car 
And because I was like, I don't know what to say. You're physically here. <laughs> like, what's up? This is strange. Yeah. But it was nice getting to physically actually be together, actually spend some time together. Uh, we will not go two years without seeing each other again, which I feel like is the last time we went a long time without seeing each other. We were like, never again, and then did it again. That was the Mississippi Book Festival for us. It was just a blast, a total Look whirlwind, but a blast. So thank you, everybody. Look forward to seeing you there next year. For sure. We will absolutely be there next year. I'm contemplating if we would do it. A lot of people asked us about starting a podcast, which we were the first to say that we are in no way, shape, or form experts in books, wine, or podcasting. But being that we, you know, started with nothing and continue to be the way we are. And I think that a lot of people wanted to know how to start a podcast, what worked for us, what didn't work for us. I think that could be a fun panel is, you know, podcasting in the book world, finding a niche, finding an audience, even if it's small, because I think that's my thing too, is that there's such a push with book talk and bookstagram to be like TikTok famous and Instagram famous. But for me, that's not really why we do this. We started it with saying, I don't even care if we have zero listeners. And this is just something that the two of us get to do together. And I know that's similarly how you feel that it's really more of something fun that we enjoy doing and much less 0% about us being famous. And I think that that's something that matters and is a little bit more genuine. So shout out to everyone out there that asked us about podcasting. I think if it's something that you want to do, you should do it, but I think it'd be cool to do a panel. So if that's something y'all would love to hear or go to at the Mississippi book festival, I like panel about podcasting in the book world. I know there's another Jackson area podcast. that's about books. Um, from, I think it's called a black man reading is his Instagram. I'm not staring at it right now, but that could be cool to do like, I'll, you know what, I'm going to send him a DM later, but just to see if that would be something he'd be interested in doing is finding, finding your niche in the podcast world or starting a podcast and what that can be for readers. I don't know. Send us an email if you think that's a good idea. Yeah. What do you want us to talk about is really the question. And, you know, another thing that we kind of talk to people about too is, we did our first year of podcasting without much push or promotion because so often than not, like, don't you hate it when you start a show or a, a podcast and then they just stop and you only get like one season of it because it's not maintainable. And I think that that's something that we've really worked hard to do is to say, this is what we are capable of providing and sticking to that. And then now that we know we can, pushing a little bit more to, you know, get people into the fold to talk with us and things like that. So, you know, knowing what you're, what you're capable of is another big kind of, I guess, piece of advice. If you are interested in starting a podcast, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those under promise over deliver type things or just deliver. Yeah. And just even journeying into like blogging and being a bookstagrammer, all of that, like the amount of time and energy it takes to produce consistent and high quality content and money. It's expensive. Mm -hmm. We were able to kind of be a little low budget for a hot minute. And I think that that is something that 
could stand to be talked about a little bit more in the space is that it is expensive. It can become very expensive and time consuming. And if you have a full-time job, like both of us did at the very beginning, um, it just can be such a, it can be overwhelming and discouraging. So I think that's a big thing for it. But again, thanks everybody. Uh, this has been wild, like just wild. So much fun. And additionally, so we did get, we did talk to a couple of different booksellers and a couple of different places that, and restaurants that talk to us about hosting live events with them. So if you are in the Jackson area, the New Orleans area or Orange Beach and would be interested in coming to a live event, maybe a live show, we've been joking about covering a book like everyone has read. So I one of them was kind of like, it'd be really funny if we did a comedy episode, but we cover Twilight, like the first Twilight book, because it's a book like no one's going to be upset if they didn't read it. But we talked to a bunch of different people who were interested in having us come in and do live events. So if you're in a specific area and want us to come to a live event, definitely send us an email and or host a live event near you. Let us know. So I think it's time for a reading, watching, listening to, don't you? I think so. I think we're, I think we're on it. Do you want to kick it off or do you want me to? I can kick it off. I can kick it off. Uh, reading. I am reading two books right now because I have broken in the Kindle. I finished my book, my paper book on the plane, uh, watching you by Lisa Jewell, which was fabulous. Um, and so I busted out the Kindle. So I am reading the last Miss Parish on Kindle because everybody says that it's amazing. So I need to get to the hype. And then another one uh, that people said was amazing uh, is The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. So those are my two that I'm reading. Watching, uh, watched the new uh, first episode of House of Dragon last night, which- I haven't seen it. Is it good? It's good. It's good. It. I don't think it hooked me like the first episode of Game of Thrones hooked me. Okay. But I know what Game of Thrones does. So like I'm ready. So I'm going to stay. It, it set me up good. Um, and that's another reason kind of we picked um, When Women Were Dragons for this month is because new Game of Thrones. We're on a dragon kick right now. August is the month of the dragon. August is the month of the dragon. And then I've, I'm also watching Daredevil. I just finished season one. So uh, when I get back from vacation, because I spent less than 24 hours in Charleston um, <laughs> before I head back out of town, um, when I get back, I'll move into season two of Daredevil. Uh, listening to, I made a playlist for Laura and I for the weekend. So I'll put that up oh, on the blog. So oh, good. It's just, it's a good, like fun lady podcast. Use it for driving, use it for cleaning. I don't know. It, it, it can be a gentleman playlist too, but. It gives up very good girl power vibes. Yes. So that was kind of the reasoning there. And then obviously I listened to Smartless podcast. Which one? Smartless, the one with Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes and uh, Will Arnett. Nice. I will say briefly before I launch into my reading, watching, listening to that. I think it's amazing how Game of Thrones, you know, Game of Thrones was a cultural phenomenon 
like absolute cultural phenomenon. And it only ended what, two years ago, three years, almost three years ago. So I, I watched the series finale of Game of Thrones in Belfast. And that was May of 2019. Yes. So we are, you know, three years out. And at that time, it was really at its pinnacle towards the end of it. And what my husband and I were talking about, he says, you know, what's interesting is that clearly everyone was upset with how it ended. I have yet to meet someone who I can be understanding on doing a short season. I can be understanding of some of the choices that they made, but he says, you know, that as a cultural phenomenon six months later you could not find a single game of thrones the memes were gone the engaging like all the merch like you could see their merch like was in kroger grocery stores there was game of thrones was everywhere and in six months it was gone and i think that's so intriguing that um just how culturally we treated that show after it, after it died literally. And, um, yeah, so I'm excited to watch the new show. I love game of Thrones. I love that universe. So I'm excited that they're getting a new chance, a new lease, if you will, to tell the pre-story and hopefully they treat us uh, a little bit nicer than they did on the last one. Don't at me. I did not like the way game of thrones ended and i am not alone so or go ahead at me let's do it <laughs> so she's like let me uh, fight yeah i'll fight about it i'll fight you i have a whole plan i know exactly how it should have ended anyway uh so my reading watching and listening to i am reading lessons in chemistry and i am watching the victoria's secret fashion show documentary mm-hmm. angels and demons uh i don't think that's what it's called i don't remember and I didn't write it down or look it up. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. We'll post it in the blog. Yep. That's what I was going to say. I'm watching that. And then I'm also watching the Resident Evil show on Netflix. It's very good. And listening to, I am listening to two new podcasts, which is difficult to add new podcasts to your repertoire, but I did add two more. I've been attempting to reboot and create like a morning routine that I'm happy with. And if you're looking to really get into a rabbit hole on Pinterest, search morning routine and you will be inundated with information and ideas and all sorts of things. So I, as part of it, I tried to swap up my morning routine and I went for a walk in the neighborhood this morning with my coffee and listened to a podcast. I was trying to find one on mindfulness or something that was kind of based on your betterment of the self instead of just murder. So I'm trying to expand and start my day, maybe not talking about murder. So I found Happier with Gretchen Rubin and her episodes are anywhere between 40 minutes to I think one of them was like 20 minutes. So they're kind of shorter, which is perfect if you're listening to it in the morning as part of your wake up routine. So I put on my little walking shoes and listened to that this morning. And then afterwards, I listened to Morning Ritual, which is also a podcast I found on Apple Podcasts. And they're just quick little meditations. And today's was about calming a 
busy mind or calming your overthinking mind. So that was nice because I'm an overthinker mm-hmm. and have ADHD. And so my brain goes bloop, 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 all over the place. So appreciate that. So if you're looking for something a little bit more meaty on some, on the self-help angle or bettering yourself in the morning, those were both nice. I like both of their voices. That's a big thing too. If I hate their voice, I can't. Oh, Gretchen Rubin has an Australian accent. So that's a great way to start the day. So that's exactly it. That's such a good way to start the day. And, you know, she is a a psychologist turned executive life coach. And she turns out episodes, not super frequently, but they are recent enough. And that's something too. She also has a pretty big back catalog. She's got 160 something episodes. So I've got some back catalog to listen to if she does dip off. But um, yeah, I've been enjoying that and the morning ritual and her voice is very calm. It's morning meditation. So she's very, you know, good morning. Hello. Get ready to start your day. And very exactly what you expect a female meditation coach to sound like. That's what I want. So I'm very, very cool. Very nice. I like that. So I will report back how my morning rituals going, how my morning routine is going and see uh, if I can keep it up. But that was my, that was my plan. Have a little bit more of a mindful morning and waste a little bit less time scrolling on social media on my couch in my sweatpants. So I hear you. Well, let's take a little break to have a word from our sponsors. And then we will come back and discuss our line and book of the month and cocktail. And cocktail. Did you know that alcohol deliveries have actually been legal in Mississippi as of July 1st, 2021 with the passage of a new house bill? So why are they just doing it now? Is it um, a local company or like a big box? So Moonshine is a locally owned and operated in the Jackson area. They work with our local stores to bring you your favorite wine, liquor, and beer straight to your doorstep. And how much do they have? Like how much uh, selection and variety do they have? So they have over 3000 products on their easy to use platform. You can order from their website or the mobile app. Well, that's fantastic. Do you have your cart? Do you have your cart ready for uh, a visit? I am definitely, we can definitely have some fun adding some things to our cart. But yeah, so like alcohol deliveries in Mississippi are finally here. Born in Mississippi, Moonshine MS delivers your favorite drinks to your door. So head to moonshinems.com to learn more or head to the app store and download the Moonshine app to get your order in today. That's moonshinems.com or follow them on social media at moonshinems and tell them the Decanterbury Tales girls sent you. Bottoms up. Stay weird. Bye. And we're back. Wine time. It's wine time, the best time. So we have a little bit of a different vibe today because there are two wines that we loved the idea of, but we're not in love, love with them. And the only reason I'm even sharing the second wine is because of our notes that I wrote down while we're drinking it. Um, we were definitely deep into a second glass and it was comical. 
um the, thick, the real opinion started coming out a thick second glass y'all like it was hilarious and then i'll also talk about um a cocktail is our is my actual pairing it's one more chapter which was our featured beverage at the liqueur kitchen and bar book lovers meet up during the mississippi book festival so thank you to everyone who came to that and we'll get into that beverage in a minute but my wine pairing because i do have to actually pick a wine um i'm not sure if you can hear chicken nugget is like screaming at the door <laughs> she is chicken um this episode brought to you by chicken nugget um so our first wine pick and my true like wine pick is called lula's revenge it's a chardonnay from vending machine wines in napa california not in love with it and we both tried it not my favorite but we i have openly said i'm not a chardonnay drinker and this is definitely comes across it is truly a classic chardonnay it's from Vending Machine Wines. She has 14.2% ABV, 30-year-old Chardonnay vines yielding two tons per acre. They only did 150 cases of this one that I have. So if you can find it, it is like in terms of label pairing and wine pairing with this book, I do think it is a perfect pairing because it's a Chardonnay. It is just it's called Lula's Revenge and the cover and the, the cover, LOL, the, um, the label is truly just such a perfect pairing with this book and this like kind of rage, feminine rage. And the label, I like brought it with me just to even talk about it. You've got like, it's a close-up of a woman's mouth and you can see her, her mouth is open and the name of the wine goes across her open mouth her teeth are kind of uneven, but her mouth is open and she looks like she's about to just like take a bite out of, it's a drawing out of the camera, but you see her nose, her eyelashes, it's definitely a close up, but it's just really a striking label. And I think it just fits the vibe of this book. So it is planted in rich loam and harvested early to preserve the minerality. Fermented in 20% new French oak for 14 months with native yeast allowing 100% not a wine professional over here we just like it <laughs> i don't know what this malolactic malolactic if you know how to pronounce that please send me something uh lee stirred for complexity we our notes it's super rich and velvety dry definitely strong with vanilla and toasted oak that is like what we got when we tried it then we did not finish it because like I said it was not our favorite put it in my refrigerator and cleaning out my fridge I tasted it and it had been open for like three days and after being open the acidity was a lot stronger and I liked it more so if you're not a Chardonnay person she sat in the fridge opened cork popped for a second and it was more tolerable for me and it's only $27 a bottle so it is a little bit I mean like it's still pretty inexpensive but it, it, an interesting one and if you dig Chardonnays this is your jam the other one the other one we tried I will not speak long about it I will just give you the bullet points of what we did what we said it was weird this is a weird wine. Uh, Georgina, you could, Georgina tried both of these with me too. So this one is the Wild Child Red Blend. 
And I wanted to love it so much. I really did. It was perfect. Both of these wines were so perfectly paired, except we didn't like them. <laughs> the reach was real. Um, the Wild Child Red Blend, they told us at the store to serve it chilled, period. He was like, serve this chilled. You want to chill it. The very, so these are just our notes. Very dirt forward. <laughs> dirt forward. <laughs> I mean, these are professionals where. Wine for beer drinkers. It was a very acidic. If um, you like a sour or more of like a cider, you will really like this wine, I think. It's just, I'm not really a sour beer person. Mm-hmm. And it it definitely had a tang to it. It definitely had a sour. It tasted like a, if you, if Welch's grape juice had a sour beer flavor. It's a good, yeah, it's good way to the next one the next note all it says is kombucha (laughs) that's also really fair yeah so kombucha also decided to like lean into the alcohol side and become a wine um this i know is you because i wrote it down the way you said it and it says legs long legs baby I know because you sat back on my couch and you started to swirl it. Like, look at those legs, baby. Like, it was so funny. <laughs> I was um, I was trying to find some redeeming things about it and long legs redeem. You were like, look at them legs. Like <laughs> we objectified this glass of wine. Which is probably not what we're supposed to be doing with this book. Mm. Definitely not. Um effervescent it was slightly effervescent which also goes back to your kombucha and sour beer aspect and then it just says sediment oh yeah but it was it was crunchy on the bottom it was filthy yeah she had some things she had to say so overall those were the two wines the lula's revenge and the wild child red blend but those are not my official pick uh, my official pick, and I'm going to read a little bit of background here. I did some research, and by research, I Googled it. Um, but uh, our official pairing is one more chapter because we have a cocktail now, and that's really cool. But the one more chapter is our take on a French 75. So I did some research on the French 75. So here we go. The French 75 is a cocktail made from gin, champagne, lemon juice, and sugar. It is also called a 75 cocktail, or in French, simply a 75. And I did take French, so I did say that right. The drink dates to World War I, and an early form was created in 1915 at the New York Bar in Paris, which later became the Harry's New York Bar by barman Harry McElhone. The combination was said to have such a kick that it felt like being shelled with a powerful set French 75 millimeter field gun. So I hate guns and gun violence. And I Googled it. The French 75 millimeter field gun is like a cannon. Okay. It's not a little like, no, it's a a cannon. It required three people to shoot it. So she big. Yeah, so they said that it kicked it such a pack, such a punch it packed. 
and felt like getting hit by a French 75 millimeter field gun, hence the name French 75. Very fun. That's fun. The drink with its current name and recipe developed over the 1920s, though similar drinks date into the 19th century. In the 19th century, the champagne cup was a popular cocktail consisting of champagne, lemon juice, sugar, and ice. Gin was sometimes added to this champagne cup yield, um, making it a drink much more like the French 75 that we know and love today. The drink was first recorded as the just a 75 in Harry's ABC of Mixing Cocktails Manual 1922 edition from Harry McElhone. And in the same year, Robert Vermeer's Cocktails and How to Mix Them, which credits the drink to McElhone. So like he is the father of the French 75. Everyone's going to give it to him. It's not like the Mai Tai where people were like, no, I did it. No, I did it. Everyone's like, homeboy, Harry McElhone did it which is nice. However, the recipes differed from the current form. McElhone's version consisted of Calvados, gin, grenadine, and absinthe, while Vermeer added lemon juice. The recipe took its now classic form and the French 75 name in Here's How by Judge Jr., 1927, consisting of what we know now, the gin, sugar, lemon juice, and champagne. The recipe was first published with the whole name French 75 in the Savo- in the Savoy cocktail book in 1930, which helped popularize the drink. Some later cocktail books used cognac instead of gin, which seems kind of gross, such as in the book, The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks. The French 75 was popularized in America at the Stork Club in New York. It appears in the movie Casablanca in 1942, and is referenced twice in John Wayne films, A Man Betrayed in 1941 and Jet Pilot in 1957. And in 2016, it appears in the ITV series, Mr. Selfridge, which is set in London in the 1910s and 1920s. So that is kind of our big swooping background on the French 75. And one more chapter is our take on the French 75. And if you're gonna make it at home, here we go. You're gonna get one ounce of orange juice, two ounces of vodka, an orange twist, shake it with ice, strain it into your cup, and top with champagne. No sparkling wine, champagne. You can do it, I believe in you. There's some delightful versions that you can get that are on a budget. And like, I've had some lovely, especially if you're making a cocktail with it, you really don't have to go like, woo, up there on prices. And we've covered several different champagnes that are budget friendly in this show. So you can, you know, take a moment, go back in time, listen to some of those episodes. If you're in a pinch, y'all, Andre works just fine. <laughs> like your man Andre at $6 a bottle does just fine in a cocktail. I mean, do better, but if you must. Do better, but if you got to, you got to. <laughs> don't, don't do that to the vodka yeah um i do uh if we're gonna give some shout outs tito's vodka is delicious as well and I'm trying to think of just the champagne that i've used recently now costco brand do not sleep on the costco champagne it is actual champagne from france and it is i think 15 dollars a bottle so yeah, y'all on a budget 
my favorite is always Mama So. Mama So is delightful. So chicken nugget, you are thoroughly recorded. <laughs> Just responded. She's letting her rage out. Mm, he he is letting it out. <laughs> I mean, that really just leads it into many a question about this book. Anyway, so that was my segment. And we shall move on to the book. And uh, changing it up with my uh, synopsis, we're going with Kirkus reviews uh, instead of, you know, my typical Goodreads and Amazon. So as women around the world inexplicably transform into dragons, a young girl struggles to take care of her cousin in 1950s America. It is indecent to speak about dragons, just as it would be indecent to say menstruation or the burning building rage that so many women feel day to day, because it's such a forbidden topic to the extent that scientists who study the dragon transformations are silenced by the government. No one really understands why dragoning happens or how it works. When Alex's Aunt Marla is among the thousands of women who all turn into dragons together on the same day in 1955, her beloved cousin Beatrice becomes her adopted sister. And when Alex is in high school and her mother dies of cancer, her father sticks her in a cheap apartment and tells her she's old enough to raise Beatrice on her own. Alex inherited her mother's talent for math and science, and she struggles between her own rage and how her abilities are constantly diminished by the men around her and her resentment that her Aunt Marla became a dragon and abandoned her and Beatrice. But the older Beatrice gets, the more she longs to become a dragon herself, and Alex lives in terror that Beatrice will leave her behind. In lesser hands, the, the dragon metaphor would feel simplistic in general, but Barnhill uses it to imagine different ways of living, loving, and caring for each other. The result is complex, heartfelt story about following your heart and opening your mind to new possibilities. This novel's magic goes far beyond the dragons. That's a really good one. I like that one. So following up from there, if we're going to spoil it, um, Beatrice does become a dragon, but she has the option to go back and forth between human and dragon. Which is like unheard of. And um, in the end, Alex goes to college. She meets her long lost love from when she was a young girl who also happens to be a female. And they all live together in harmony essentially with dragons. It's her aunt that comes back, Beatrice's mother and her dragon friends and they make a family. And it's really beautiful. I think after you read this whole book and all of Alex's struggles that she endured, not and we're going to get into womanhood in general, but she, as a character, just endures, endures, endures. And it's kind of this beautiful moment in the end where she can be everything that life, the patriarchy, was telling her she couldn't be. And 
She could be a mother. She could be a sister. She could be a cousin. She could be a scientist. She could be gay. She could be whatever she wanted to be. She could be happy. And that's totally fine. Yeah. And it it kind of makes me think a little bit about, you know, Eliza. We always talk about Eliza, but in um, her stand up comedy, one of her headier moments where she stops joking is whatever type of woman you decide to be, you are right. Yeah. And I thought that that really encapsulated what Kelly Barnhill was trying to say in this beautiful novel. So, Laura's nodding. It's so beautiful. Sorry, I'm fostering this kitten and he is being so loud. She's being a mother, y'all. He's just like, I just like hear this loud, noisy toy. It's the noisiest toy we own to like roll it right past the studio door. So I'm sure you can hear that. Um, Yeah, I just, I loved this book and I did not come up with this term, but someone else did and they called it a coming of rage story. And it was someone on Instagram and I can't, I was one of those things where you're scrolling and then you go back to try to find it and they're gone and I haven't been able to find it since. So whoever you are, I'm not, I wish I could credit you for saying it, but it was such a good, such a good, like encapsules this moment in this story Um, because she is angry, but like refuses to like, she refuses to admit her own anger. This book is just a very powerful piece of fiction. Mm-hmm. And it takes something fantastical and just makes it so real. And so, so yes, they turn into dragons. Yes, they glitter and sparkle. And some of them, it's all different types of dragons. And I think I enjoy that as well is that just that people, just like people have all these different attributes that make them unique. All these dragons were different and what they went to go do or achieve or experience were all different. There were deep ocean dragons and forest dragons and mountain dragons and space dragons. And it was just the perfect way to situate these fantastical creatures based on where they went ended up being based on what they were told they couldn't do and it's just beautiful and we all know we should not tell people but especially women what to do I'm just gonna walk that back (laughs) I'm just gonna just gonna walk that out there real quick just gonna drop that real quick and um Yeah, yeah there's there's very, I will often send Laura a book and be like, this was good. I enjoyed it. This was funny, but this is really the first book. I think you can agree that I've said this book is important. Yes. I was like this book. It is so much more than what the page says. And, you know, it's very interesting on Goodreads breaking down the reviews 38% of people gave it five stars. 
36% gave it four stars. So you're at already over 70%. Yeah. And then 18 people, 18% three stars, 5% two stars, 1% one star. 93% of people at least liked it. Yeah. And that's, that's something to say about this book. And when we were at the uh, Mississippi Book Festival, we told people about this book and everybody seemed very at least interested in it or they'd seen it and thought about reading it and we were like, read it. And, and the people who did read it were like, oh, yes. <laughs> like, so I have some questions just for us to discuss. Some of them I made up. Some of them are from uh, Doubleday. Okay. Uh, I, I kind of going, put them. Going from the source. Going from the source. I kind of made up my own, kind of put some together. Some of them are theirs. I don't really know at this point because they're all hodgepodged. Love it. But the we main- We start posting our questions on the blog. Sorry. For okay. all of you, for all you listening, so that if you're having some little book club discussions, maybe you can answer the questions. Anyway, fire away, Georgiana. Great suggestion. Add more work for me to do, Laura. You already wrote them. They're I already know. sitting in the Google Docs. They're I know. Already on I'm the drive. I'm just being annoying, okay? Anywho, the main character, Alex, had many different roles in the book. She was a daughter, a cousin, a student, and most important, a mother. Which one do you think she felt was her most important role? Or which one do you think also? And how do each of these affect her development? I think her least, maybe not least, but in the scheme, daughter was probably not at the top of the list. Because her mother died when she was quite young. She was kicked out of the house. Her dad stopped fathering her. And yes, she's still a daughter. But I don't think that that necessarily defined her as much as the other roles did. I think it would be first and foremost a mother and secondly, a student, primarily because when it comes down to when she realizes that she does not have any financial support anymore from her father, that that's been cut off, and he does not support her going to college, one of her decisions when she is debating even applying for college is, well, what what will I do with Beatrice? what will I do with her? And if I can't find something to do with her, then I, I just work and I just don't go to college. And that's just the end of it for me. So clearly she prioritized in her mind being first and foremost, the caregiver and mother to her sister cousin. I agree. And I think being a sister cousin mother made her grow up very quickly. I don't think she spent too much time being a child per se. And, you know, we're talking about this 
fantasy of dragons and things like that, which is kind of an interesting parallel along with the fact that that's something that kind of goes with childhood and then yeah. she doesn't really have one. Yeah, I would say definitely her childhood was absolutely stunted. I think that you hit a point when she realizes that her mother was sick and comes home, gets better, and then gets sick again, somewhere in the get better after her aunt dragons and leaves. Basically, once Beatrice joins the fold of their family, she you can see those pieces of childhood just being slowly stripped from her. And her identity sl slowly shifting or quickly shifting, actually, I should say. Yeah. Um, question number two. After the mass dragoning of 1955, a wave of silence and denial followed. The topic of dragons and the women who left became unmentionable. Why do you think this topic became taboo? Significantly, the government not wanting to give information or provide information or covering things up, I think aided in it being taboo. I think the time frame in which this book is set aids in the, you know, taboo, we don't talk about this because this is also the time you don't talk about mental health. You don't talk about being gay. You don't talk about like being gay. Well, you don't even know that's not even a real thing. Um, you don't talk about cancer. You don't talk about divorce. You don't talk about anything that's outside of your kind of cis hetero family, family dynamic. Defined and, roles. Yeah. They don't talk about her husband is having an affair, was having an affair while she was dying of cancer. Dang. But you don't talk about that, but she knew. So I think that there's so much that plays into that. There were already things that were quote unquote normalized and not talked about. You know, in this book, they go through those news stories about, you know, the stewardess, not the stewardesses, the um, telephone operators the phone bank girls, and they filed a complaint, a sexual harassment complaint about their boss and nothing happened. And then it was never spoken of. And then they all dragoned and ate him, but they still didn't talk about the fact that he had been accused of sexual harassment. And that like, come on y'all. So and I then in turn, they also can't talk about them being dragons. Yeah, so it's just all covered up in an explosion. So I mean, there's a lot of explosions going on guys. Kiwelly Golding. Nice. Um, so kind of like piggybacking on this question a little bit, um, many of the topics kind of brought me back to our conversation with Andrea Bartz and the Fleabag clip about women being born into pain. Yeah. And then, you know, in this book, we kind of talk about gender roles, silencing of women, what it is to be a woman, things like that. But what for you, because it reminded me about female resilience and how women just kind of keep going. And, you know, maybe we could touch a little bit on that of like why we do keep going and what is it about being inherently female that makes you stronger? Man. I feel like a woman. Burp, 
like literally you were like being a woman and I was like what doesn't kill you makes it stronger like I was doing all the girl ballads over here in my head so I just had to get both of those out real quick what is it about being a woman that makes us resilient just like the inherent like the fact that you were born woman I feel like you know it's like women are born into pain well we get the periods we get the childbirth we get the menopause all of that sucks. And so like really inherently, and, and inherently built into that is a type of resilience. And if you've all, you've had back cramps, you know yeah. that it is a real struggle and bloating, God, with the things we're not supposed to talk about, I'm going to talk about all of them. It's just like, I, I don't know. It kind of, those, those things all kind of, to me, just kind of held hands a little bit life does throw things at us. Life throws things at men that, you know, make us all more resilient, but built into just our existence. Female DNA. Yeah. Ovaries. Ovaries. Ovaries before broveries. Uh, So the question is, you know, something inherently in women is that we're tiny and resilient from the moment we're born. Um, And I do think it's built into the female experience of high, like, I don't know a woman that doesn't have a high pain tolerance. And, um, you know, I'm, I joke, I'm, I'm a baby if I sprain my ankle, but I'll go forever if like I pull a muscle or whatever. But anyway, I think that there's a philosopher in my like philosophy 101 class. So I don't have my notes in front of me all that was like seven years ago. The, one of the first things we talked about was gender roles. And, you know, when, when you start recognizing gender and the chapter was something along the lines of a male child, it's a male philosopher, super, super famous. I don't want to say Freud, but I feel like it was, but I could be wrong, could absolutely be wrong. But he said there was something inherently appalling to him that a woman, when he discovered like periods existed, I think he saw like blood in the toilet and thought his mother was dying. And in that time frame of whenever this philosopher was around, like women were absolutely marginalized. Like we are, there is still that gap. There's still things that we can do. But back then, similar to this book, is women were inherently like couldn't own property. And it was, oh my gosh, I think you're dying. Like there's blood, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh no, I bleed for seven days. And it was like, she's a superhero. She's inhuman. She bleeds for seven days, but she doesn't die. And she just is bleeding right now and isn't doing anything. I couldn't even tell. And but then was treated, you know, the way she was in society and by his father and as lesser than, weaker than. He's like, she's bleeding for seven days. What do you expect? <laughs> so it's just a, cra- it's a, such a strange dichotomy uh, for women to be both feminine but inherently strong to be able to sustain, like, um, to survive just like constant pain once a month, childbirth, 
menopausal women. It's not just. It's all women, whether you were born a woman or identify as female, you were included. There was no, and you were talking about the different colors and shapes of dragons, you know, showing all of their diversity of who they wanted to be. And no dragon was the same and that everybody's different. And what it means to be a woman is not one singular thing. I think I enjoy the way that this novel explores that. This novel does two things that I think are very unique. Um, it discusses, it brings into question because it is truly a dissection of femininity, but it brings in the LGBTQ plus community in such a way through the news articles and the scientific journals and everything where it weaves this tapestry in your brain because it starts building up in some of these articles that you start reading and news clippings and all that of oh it's just women just women are dragons or it's just young women who haven't been married or it's just young women when they start their periods like they become a dragon and so depending on the stories that you've read so then you start getting it's you're almost being treated like a scientist you are breaking apart these articles and you're pulling in these little tidbits of information. And the one that I think is most interesting or a significant article that they bring across is a firsthand account of it's like seven drag queens putting on a show and halfway through their drag show, they dragon and they finish their show as dragons and then burst through the roof. And everyone watching the drag show like burst into applause, but they were all trans women they were born men so by sheer force of will they became dragons and so that calls into question it's not just a case of biology in this so it's such an interesting commentary on womanhood you know, you are taking on Alex's point of view as she ages. And it is, you know, she is, it's her looking back in time. So you are looking at it through, you know, her moments of wisdom. But again, it's a firsthand account. And so part of it, I like to imagine her like coming across these articles, like throughout her time, through her journey. In your, you said it beautifully. And the thing that I thought of, which will be the name of the episode is I am woman, hear me roar. <gasps> oh my gosh, that's such a good one. It, it, obviously you should know that song. If you don't know that song, go look it up. Oh my God, I haven't even thought about that one. I've been trying to do one where it's like such a fun rage, rage against the machine. Like I just have been enjoying the word rage, but I am woman hear me roar is amazing. Yep. yep. I just nailed it. So proud of you. Thank <laughs> you. It's by, by Helen Reddy, if y'all haven't heard it. And it's called I Am Woman. It'll be on the blog. It will be, but <laughs> woohoo. So um why do you think Alex chose not to become a dragon? So from her 
there is something about this like not magic that keeps them from becoming dragons. But I think deep down, because it seems like she never really wanted to. She wanted to, but, and I don't know if it was lack of want or just lack of belief that it was even possible. And to kind of follow up on that too, I think if you think about some of the reasons that women dragoned is, you know, people said, I couldn't be this, I couldn't do this. So I'm going to become a dragon and be that a a sort of source of freedom and escapism. Mm -hmm. Well, Alex chooses to be a mother, cousin, sister. She decides to love Sonia. She decides to be a scientist, a student, an academic, a friend. She decided that she could be all of those things in this form. And I don't think necessarily she needed that escape, that freedom, because the people- She didn't need to dragon. She didn't need to dragon because the dragons supported her so that she could be everything that she wanted to be in her human form. Yeah. Then novel ends, Alex moves uh, back to the neighborhood, to the neighbor's house where she saw the dragon for the first time. And- Which I love. I love this whole coming full circle situation. And so she fills her house with mementos of her life experiences, the different people she meets. And why is that so impactful? And how does it compare to her childhood home? I can first say that, you know, her childhood home with the knots was everything fighting against dragoning. Yes. Uh, I feel like her house was 100% and her childhood was all about covering up and hiding your past, hiding where you came from, hiding, you know, the truth, hiding even your intelligence. Uh, Her mother was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think there's so much in that. So I think it's such a cute story. There's such a, like a fun ending for her to go be the crazy old lady that gives little kids eggs, uh, which is now added to the life plan. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. It's an egg. Just kidding. It's an egg. And you can't erase it. You can do better. I feel like that's why millennials got a bad rap. I think that's a lot of part of counterculture in general and what the popular media right now is and what a lot of our movements are right now is we have learned from the past and we can do better and it's not just we can do better we demand better and I think there's something so powerful about that and something powerful in saying no this is not okay and I deserve better a men (laughs) i feel like i'm the only one answering the question (laughs) i've I've answered some um (laughs) some but i mean i i'm the one that spent some time thinking about them so i these are excellent questions i obviously thought about them um and so one of the things we really talked about and found out is that kelly barnhill is not doing any press for when women were dragons. None. We reached out and 
we got an automated message back that essentially said, I will answer any questions about all of these books. I will not answer any questions about when women were dragons. And she also turned off her Instagram tagging, so we couldn't even harass her. And I guess enough people harassed her that she's like, I'm out, I'm done. And my question is, why do you think that she won't do press? And I'll answer it since you say I didn't answer. I am brought back to the very sage words of Taylor Swift when the Reputation album came out. And she said, there will be no explanation, just reputation. And I think that this book speaks for itself. It does not need her answering any of your questions, any of our questions. The women, the dragons are speaking for themselves. And- As they should. As they should. And so we, she doesn't need to talk about it because she said everything she had to say. She left it on the page. And either you agree or you disagree. And she's not gonna sit there and talk to people who don't agree she and the people that agree you get it so she doesn't need to talk to you so that's kind of why I think I agree with you I think that the the work does stand on its own additionally I'm sure that given the time period right now where we stand uh you know in a post Roe v Wade world right now where reproductive rights, where women's rights, where the rights of the LGBTQ plus community are all being, you know, called into question, the right to be married, the right to give birth, the right to exist, you know, on this plane. So I think that we're also in a very volatile time with a lot of these subjects that this book covers, which is why you said this was important. And it raises a lot of questions and it really makes you think about your own personal values. I think it does a great job. It not putting it in present day was so smart mm-hmm. and bringing in, you know, these fantastical dragons, bringing in these moments really make you analyze these situations in a much more, you pull out your bias mm-hmm. significantly when you're talking about the right for dragons to live among you. And you just replace dragons with anything. Replace the word dragons with lesbians or gay people or black people. Or right now, um, I just think that this book does such a good job of making you analyze the situation for what it is. And it does a really good job of removing your bias or at least making you analyze it making you think about your opinions on it. And if she answered questions, then maybe she would uh, impact your opinion. And I think she just kind of wanted everyone to think. Well, think I did. Think I did and dragons I love. Yes. And it is a sexy cover and we stay true to our theme. We know we will up. If you didn't like the book, at least we upped your bookshelf game because this is a beautiful cover. It is stunning. So very, very pleased with that. I mean, I I just loved this book so much and I'm really upset that we're kind of done talking about it. 
I mean, I'm really I excited. I probably to never about- be done talking about this book. I'm going to be like, oh, how do you feel? You should read When Women when Were women. Dragons. Are you angry? Read this oh, book. You're, you're trying to step on his gown? Read When Women Were Dragons. <laughs> if everyone else can tell that we're excited about the Taylor Swift album. So Janice threw her head back and took a deep breath. <laughs> She's still breathing. I, I cried when I saw the headline pop up on my phone in the morning. Tears streaming down my face. I cannot wait. <sighs> if you can't tell, we are both very much so Swifties. Georgiana more than I, but we are definitely both Swifties. Anyway, I think that is what we got. For it when is. women were dragons. I and just, I loved this book. Thank you, Kelly Barnhill, even though you're not doing any press or listening or talking. Thank you. It, it was- book. It was magical. So, so, yes, I think it's time to announce the September book, which yep. <laughs> features another fabulous creature. We're on a we're on an animalia kick. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm rolling with it. This book, I tell you, it is. It's like the one single happy tear that you can see. Uh, it's so nice it's so beautiful and I'm very proud of us we picked a book that did include two male perspectives yeah so we are branching out everybody for you our nine percent male listenership we did this for you and because the book's just really good yes and we are talking about remarkably bright creatures by Shelby Van Peltz And we are very excited that uh, Shelby has agreed to come on the the podcast and speak with us. So I am already writing questions in my head about what to talk about. So excited. So that is for September. So you better get reading. Go pick up your copy, Remarkably Bright Creatures. And we will chat with you guys again in September. If you loved this book and want to chat about it with us or start some little fun comments back and forth, head to our blog on decanterburytales.com. You are welcome to literally just start commenting. It's open to the public. You don't have to sign up for anything. We would love it if you sign up for our emails, but definitely start some discourse. Talk to each other. That's what we're here for. Engage about books. It's book club, fam. And if you website response is not your thing we're on instagram we're on twitter you can find us there if you want to generate a conversation and facebook at and, facebook. and facebook and if you want to be private about it shoot us an email decanterburypod at gmail.com baby bottoms up stay weird bye, bye. <laughs> please keep that tiny meow in he meow- goodbye bye nugget <laughs>